Today's readings are like a simmer in Christianity. They tell us the essence of what we believe. Let's begin with our lesson from Micah. The word virtue sounds somewhat outdated these days. It suggests a bygone era. Cicero's phrase, virtue is its own reward, can conjure up images of prudish crusaders like Harry Nation smashing down the doors during prohibition. And yet, we lament the loss of ethical conduct in our culture and our public servants. We become inured to deceit and fraud in high places and are pleasantly surprised when we find vestiges of decency in our politicians or business dealings. No, virtue did not go out of fashion along with Victorian armoires and bustles. The virtues just suffer from benign neglect and are present but hidden in our time. Virtues have a long and distinguished, distinguished history both in our church and earlier in the classical world. It is virtue that forms our character. We don't hear much discussion about character, but we all long for the quality of excellence in character, and we grieve the absence of it. Essentially, character means the personality formed with a view toward goodness. And virtues are goodness differentiated into various areas of human life. The Greeks singled out four virtues that have come down to us as the cardinal virtues, wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice. The medieval church accepted these four as the natural virtues, but added faith, hope, and charity as the theological virtues. Then things got a bit more complicated. Along came the seven deadly sins, and their concomitant virtues followed. If we go on and consider the nine fruits of the Spirit that St. Paul lists in Galatians, we have a fairly long list. Our Old Testament lesson from Micah is a call to virtue. In it, the prophet cuts through the major sacrificial possibilities of the faithful in their efforts to please and appease God. Next Thursday, we will commemorate the presentation of our Lord in the temple, which was when Mary and Joseph brought the offering of a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons, to the temple, as was required by the law. Offerings and sacrifice were very much a part of first century Judaism. After a barrage of questions to his listeners, we can almost hear Micah's voice raised to thunder as he says, God has showed you, O people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? To do justice is to render each his or her due. Justice is one of the cardinal virtues, as I mentioned. And we have a powerful example of one who did justice in the late Thurgood Marshall. Marshall knew oppression firsthand and never forgot it. He continued, despite the honors and comforts of his life, to work for those who were neglected by the law. Now, most of us are not justices or judges, but we can still do justice in our daily lives. We can be fair 
and impartial in our business dealings, we can work for those suffering injustice or oppression, and we can uphold the laws of our society, unless they are patently unjust, in which case we're obliged to protest them. And we can tell the truth. The responsibility to be just extends beyond the purview of the legal profession. A virtue and capacity we can all attain Justice requires an equanimity of judgment, which is the product of prayer and clear thinking. Micah also calls us to love kindness. If we love kindness, we love that which binds us. And I think we can fairly call such love charity. Charity is one of the three theological virtues and was deemed the greatest of the three by St. Paul, in his well-known passage from Corinthians. We all know there are different kinds of love, and C.S. Lewis took the time to sort them out. He arrived at four kinds of love, the love we feel for the familiar, storge, the love we have for our friends, philia, the love we have for a mate, eros, and the undeserved love that imitates the love of God. It is this last love, agapeic love, that we translate as charity. And those of us who have ever received this love know it to be no poor sister to the other three or natural affections. It is, in fact, the strongest of them all, and it alone can pierce even the hardest human heart. Oscar Wilde wrote of a man who raised his hat to him as he walked by in chains on his way to trial. He said, when wisdom has been profitless to me, philosophy barren, and the proverbs and phrases of those who sought to give me consolation as dust and ashes in my mouth, the memory of that little, lovely, silent act of love has unsealed for me all the wells of pity, brought me out of the bitterness of lonely exile into harmony with the wounded, broken, and great heart of the world. Charity or kindness acknowledges our underlying kinship to each other. It's loving our neighbor as ourselves. Once when Henry James was saying goodbye to his nephew, he said something the boy never forgot. It was this. There are three things that are important in human life. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. The third is to be kind. Finally, Micah asks us to walk humbly with our God. He is essentially calling us to the virtue of humility. Sometimes we can understand something better by looking at its opposite. So let's look at pride for a moment, the most lethal of the seven deadly sins. You may recall that Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan who told them, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation because they wanted to be as gods. The Greek word hubris means pride so great that the bearer arrogates to himself or herself the power of the gods. The root of pride is our desire for the power of God and as such gives rise to the rest of the deadly sins. It places our own desires above all else. 
In the Divine Comedy, Dante places the crowd on the lowest cornice of purgatory, where they must walk round the holy mountain with huge stones on their backs. The stones force them to look down at the ground, at the humus, the earth, from which our word for humility comes. Humility is the antidote to pride, to be of the earth, to keep our eyes on the dust from which we came and to which we will all return. Frederick Buechner said, true humility doesn't consist of thinking ill of yourself, but of not thinking of yourself much differently from the way you'd be apt to think of anyone else. It's the capacity for being no more and no less pleased when you play your own hand well than when your opponents do. Or as St. Francis said, let your privilege be to have no privilege. Not quite two weeks ago, I was in the Holy Land, and I went to the mountain, believed to be where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, from which today's gospel lesson comes. It's one of those spots in the Holy Land that was authenticated in the third century from the writings of a pilgrim named Egeria. And so in a land dotted with claims to holiness, this site has a fairly strong claim. It was pouring rain outside when we arrived on the mountain, and so we sought shelter in the church built on the site and there were several seminarians among us who took turns and read to us the entire Sermon on the Mount. In the opening of the sermon, the blessings or beatitudes, we hear the teaching of Jesus that is indeed foolishness to the worldly wise and even absurd to many. But to those who have gained some spiritual maturity, the words offer comfort and assurance on the Christian path. They convey an understanding that overthrows the natural philosophy of life. I remember the first time I sat down and read the gospel. I was astonished because the Christian faith is so very different from the way in which our nominally Christian culture presents it. The Christian faith has very little to do with being merely a pleasant and successful person in the midst of materialism and plenty. It has to do with a radical new way of understanding our experience. And this shift is best shown in today's teaching. Jesus begins by calling blessed four of life situations that seem at best to be undesirable and at worst even cursed. He's referring to those most deprived of worldly means of support, dignity, comfort, or influence, and whose deepest longing is to have all of these wrongs made right. They are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And their blessing would seem to be that they are now totally reliant on the grace of God. The second four categories of the Beatitudes are unique to Matthew and not like the others matched in the Beatitudes given in Luke's Gospel. Jesus also calls blessed those who actively seek to make things right, but who also rely on God as their source and guide. 
They are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The first eight Beatitudes are given in the third person, but in the ninth Beatitude, Jesus makes a direct address to his hearers. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In this beatitude, Jesus puts into context what his followers are beginning to perceive and experience. John the Baptist has been arrested, and this fact has propelled Jesus into his active ministry of teaching, preaching, and healing. His word shows clearly that the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, was going to meet conflict with the political powers and rulers of his times. But how can we find ways to rejoice in persecution and in being reviled? Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What initially may not make sense and seems to turn the world upside down is actually the wisdom of God, which comes to us in the person of Jesus. And his wisdom continues to challenge and form us. We see it emerge clearly in spiritual leaders like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who saw that there were things worth dying for. And sometimes we glimpse that those things that caused us great pain and suffering also contained a spiritual gift. As you reflect on the words of the prophet Micah, I ask you to build the three virtues of justice, kindness, and humility through the simple daily dimensions of your life. Our character is the product of our thoughts, words, and actions. Justice begins as fair play, Charity is a small act of kindness. Humility is simply to remember we are of the earth. And as you reflect on the Beatitudes of Jesus, I would ask you to accept them, even if you do not fully understand them or do not feel them as a blessing. Jesus was always trying to pull along his disciples who were slow to understand, and the Beatitudes urge us toward growing spiritually. Receive them as the caress of a loving God and a call toward who you are yet to become. Now to God, who has shown us what is good and has blessed us with heavenly bounty, let us give the thanks of trusting and grateful hearts. Amen. Amen.